welcome to another episode of the Ion Security Podcast. I am your host, Luke McNamara. Joining me today are Henry Peltergongas, Director of Product, and Nart Villeneuve, Director of Research, to discuss security validation and how threat intelligence feeds that process. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Luke. Thank you. Uh, so, Henry, I think we can start with you. Um, what specifically is the, the challenge that security validation, when we talk about that, um, what is it trying to address or solve? Um, and maybe as kind of a, a precursor to that, um, tell us a little bit about your role within the company and what you work on. Sure. So as the director of product for the behavioral research team, I lead the research team at Mandiant Security Validation that creates all the testing content um, that we have in the platform. So we research the techniques and tactics that adversaries use uh, and we then replicate them in the platform so that we can test security controls effectiveness against those techniques. You're looking at this from a couple of different angles. Um, you know, when, when organizations are using security validation, they're looking to test their controls against what techniques that threat actors may be currently using. They're also trying to see potentially, you know, what are the most efficient or effective controls at dealing with different types of threat actor behavior. Correct. So we try to take out the guesswork from uh, your security effectiveness. So uh, in the past, you basically had to trust the security vendors that their technologies were able to block or alert on adversary attacks. And with security validation, you kind of validate that those security controls are doing exactly what the vendors are saying, as well as that your configurations and how you've implemented them in your network actually work and take advantage of all the capabilities of those security technologies. And Nart, to, to bring you into this, tell us a little bit about what your team's mission is. Um, I know you kind of work in a lot of different areas, but specifically around how are you organized to, to kind of help take the insights that we're seeing and learning from of current adversary behavior um, and help feed this validation process? Yeah, for sure. So uh, my team is called the Threat Pursuit Team. And one of the things we do is we dig through the mountains of telemetry data um, generated from our security appliances. And we look through that to try to find new and interesting techniques and activity. And as we're doing that, because we have access to all of this data, we're also building trends in terms of what malware families are being most actively used, what vulnerabilities we're seeing being most actively used. And then we use that information to work with Henry's team to try to identify which groups and which malware families we want to help create security validation for. And when it comes to the prioritization of you know, which families of malware or which clusters of threat actors that you're focused on building these out for, how do you think about the prioritization of this? Because um, certainly for, I've seen some of the reports and, and work that your team does, you're certainly focused on some of the larger commodity malware campaigns and, and some of these other things, but you're also looking at some of the more targeted sets of actor activity as well, correct? So yeah, prioritization is an interesting question because you want to know what 
malware families or what techniques are being used that you might not be seeing or that other people in your industry vertical or geographic region are seeing that you might not be seeing. So in some ways, volume is an interesting metric because the, the, the things that have the highest volume are also the things that we detect most. So it only becomes an issue if your peers are seeing a lot of detections for something and you're not then you might be missing it. The reverse is also true. The things that we see less of could actually be more interesting because it could be more impactful. So something that you see all the time and that's pretty easily detectable, those threat actors might not have as much of an impact, whereas another group might get into your environment and be you know, specifically after intellectual property that could have a bigger impact than some stolen credentials or could release uh, ransomware into your environment, crippling an organization, which would have a much more severe impact. So the relationship between like high volume and low volume is an interesting contrast. And so, Henry, uh, going back to you, you know, you, you, you have this data that NARC's team is producing. Um, how do you take that and generate um, specific, I guess, um, adversary behaviors or techniques within the security validation platform? What does that look like at a more granular level when you're looking to see if certain controls would have caught, for example, a new tactic that APD41 is using? Uh, it depends on the attacks or the malware families. So we try to take the attacks or malware families and then break down all the different uh, smaller behaviors that those do and that we need to test against. So we try to cover both the network side as well as endpoint security controls. So we want to look at what are the signatures or behaviors that will impact across the network that network security controls would be detecting. And then we want to look at what is happening on the host itself and what could be detected by endpoint security controls. So those are the two main areas. But there's also, depending on the attack, if it's using phishing emails, we then create the phishing emails to test email security controls. And we try to go over all the different behaviors and each one of the security technologies that customers might have and see how those behaviors match against uh, those security controls. And are you replicating adversary activity, again, let's use the example of APD41, across their entire attack lifecycle or portions of that to where, you know, if you know they're using a particular second stage tool or, you know, a certain tool to move around laterally, um, that you're also kind of mimicking that activity? So... There might be some techniques that we know for certain groups that um, they do in order to prepare for the attacks and do as recon. And if those recon activities don't touch the customer's network, we kind of have to disregard those because everything that we test is what is happening when the actors start to touch on the target environment. So that's why we start with the perimeter on the network and then go into the host and what is happening inside the customer's environments. Inside the environment, yes, we're trying to do every single behavior that they do, if it's commands on the keyboard or if it's automated or scripted, all the C2 traffic that is picking out or downloading a second stage payload. So for actors like APT41, taking the years of research that Mandian has collected 
and then creating behaviors for every single uh, small technique that the adversaries have used is a quite large undertaking. Yeah, I can imagine. And Nart, for, I guess, the, the things that your team is seeing now, um, as Henry mentioned, there's, there's a lot of data where you could go back years and years uh, to incorporate all the different techniques that are used by a variety of threat actors or different aspects of, of malware families. What are some of the ones that are interesting to you right now in terms of what we're seeing? Again, you know, commodity malware or some of the more targeted intrusion activity. What are some interesting trends that we're seeing, some of which is being replicated in, in these uh, insights in, into the security validation? So one of the things that we try to focus on are uh, techniques. Henry can explain this really well, but there are constructs in the security validation platform um, called sequences and evaluations that can chain together a number of actions that can be tested in an environment. So in the last release, our focus, one of our focuses was on um, living off the land techniques. So this would be the use of legitimate binaries to load malicious content to bypass security controls. There are some fairly common ones that attackers use, as well as some more obscure ones. And we focused on that. Um, that's typically a behavior that an endpoint detection should detect. So we actually used the data from our endpoint detections to classify the most common as well as the most obscure techniques that we've observed and focused on creating actions to go into the security validation platform to test for those techniques. So as we do our research, um, we try to break down into the smallest behaviors. Uh, and those can be just uh, taking very specific command that the malware is doing uh, on the host, and it's it's only one of many uh, behaviors that the malware does on the full kill chain. So what we do with sequences, uh, connecting those smaller behaviors into the full sequence that the malware does. So that allows us to kind of the flexibility of having individual behaviors as individual atomic units. And then the sequence allows us to collect them into this whole of showing to customers as well as testing security controls of the whole kill chain of attack behaviors that are happening in, in, in a single incident. And what are, and obviously this is going to you know, vary by customer environment, what, what are some of the high level aspects that customers are finding when they put these um, sequences together or they're using the security validation controls? You know, does it, do we see interesting patterns or trends around certain areas where controls are not put in place properly or they're not existent? What do we see in terms of the, what, what customers are seeing in, on their, uh, their end? Um, basically, with every single customer, um, starting with the proof of concept, when we start, we find something that is not working in their environment. So I don't think we've had a single customer that there hasn't been any value from starting even from the proof concept to um, then using our drift analysis of seeing how their environment is kind of uh, evolving or how changes are changing the effectiveness of security controls. So what we most of the time see is starting just that the segmentation of the network is not what the customer thinks. So that our actors that we've deployed into their network can communicate from zones that they're not supposed to. So starting with just like the basic, those are often something that 
can be identified easily up front and then we go into a lot more in depth into the adversary attacks and we can often see that there is some of the common malware that is not being detected when it's just coming from the network and landing on the endpoint so even if the edr or av security control claims that they're able to detect it often we will find out that um, their capabilities are not necessarily able to catch the malware. Uh, and in some cases, it might be just the configuration that the customer is running for that security control, not necessarily that the capability is not there for that security control or technology. So there's a lot of things that can be illuminated by, by going through this process. And it seems like, you know, in some cases, it's not just that uh, there's a lack of controls in place, but it may be that they're misconfigured or they're not properly working right. Correct. Um, and Dart, when you think about, I guess, you know, you mentioned incorporating into some of the, the recent activity, uh, some of the recent techniques that you were seeing, you know, incorporating some of the, the living off the land techniques. What are some aspects of adversary activity that you would like to see included in kind of future releases or future patterns of, of activity that you're looking to include? Well, we've been looking to include some thematic content. So, for example, there's uh, customers that would be interested in point-of-sale malware, right? Malware that steals credit cards. That's not necessarily applicable to all customers, but for any customers in retail space, for example, or people that are handling financial data, a series of evaluations that focus on point-of-sale malware would be really useful for certain industry verticals. Um, we've also been looking at other types of evaluations, for example, focused specifically on uh, the teams, the tools that red teams use, because real threat actors are also increasingly using those very same tools. So we focused recently on developing some actions to emulate the behavior from some of the most popular red team um, command and control oriented tools that are out there. So we should be able to... to you know, test the environment against what a red team would do as well as actors using those same tools. That, that seems to be a very interesting aspect of this is that Intel as an, out, as an input into this process kind of enables organizations to prioritize real world intrusions and attacks. So not just something that theoretically is, is possible, but current techniques that are being utilized by threat actors today um, and specifically ones that are impacting their geographic region or their vertical. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other piece too, and, and Henry alluded to this when he was talking about how they chain together actions, is that these days, most of the stuff that is being observed in the wild is multi-stage. Attackers aren't sending an executable directly, right? It's a Word document that downloads a file that downloads another file. And each hop along the way is an opportunity for a different type of technology to do some sort of detection. Um, so by breaking it down that way, you can actually test what the life cycle of an individual attack would be, not just you know one single area where you would expect detection. So that seems like it'd be very useful for some of the, the types of threat activity we see today. I guess one example I'm thinking of is you know, macro-enabled malware that pulls down additional, you know, backdoors, or even some of the, the post-compromise ransomware activity where there may be additional things that are, it's not all being done in one stage. 
So some of these uh, attacks and intrusions that we're seeing today, that particular process by which you would test that, it becomes really incredibly useful. Yeah. So the, if you think about it, right, when the first email comes in, that's an, that's a potential avenue where um, email appliances could detect, right? When the user opens the attachment, that's another avenue where endpoint can detect. When the payload from the macro is being pulled down over the wire, that's a, a spot where network appliances can detect, right? So when you break down what seems to be a single event into these multiple points of attack where different technologies can make that detection, you can kind of see what the overall picture is as opposed to just testing one type of malware against one type of security control. And Henry, going back to you, this sort of technology, this sort of validation, this can be used in many different types of environments, correct? So we're seeing customers use this and, you know, um, I, I imagine obviously IT systems, but do we see this being utilized in OT systems or maybe some atypical types of networks where some of these actors can be deployed and the security controls can be validated? Yes. So OT uh, and ICS environments are a little bit sensitive to most of the customers. So I think there's more sensitivity from the customers of not putting uh, even the validation technology into those environments. However, yeah, 100%, you can test uh, any environment that is using uh, either Linux or Windows or Mac OS to test those. And even a lot of our uh, network-based tests are agnostic to any of the host uh, OSs. So uh, at least even if um, you cannot necessarily have tests for every single application or ICS system, you can at least test the network pieces, which are the main avenues that actors are still compromising those systems. So at least if you test the perimeter and the network layer, then, then you at least know that most of the attacks should be blocked at that phase uh, before they get on to the application or the host. So when we're thinking about new areas where we may see security validation go from here, um, kind of as this particular area grows and, and more organizations are focused on this as one way to not just, I think, test their environments to see how secure they really are, but also to evaluate uh, the, the technologies they have in place, right, to evaluate the security spend. And we've seen, I guess, the, in other areas, I think about the uh, MITRE's attack framework how there is more of an interest for organizations to categorize types of threats, um, which again, I think is probably useful uh, to security validation writ large. Where do you think that the security validation space goes from here? Well, definitely there is going to be more interest in um, the OT systems like you alluded to, both in the um, healthcare side as well as on ICS and for basically almost virtually any organization there is interest to test their cloud environments. So I think those three areas are where we will see increase of the validation. So up to this point we've been mostly testing customers traditional uh, IT environments. So the expansion is going to be to cloud and then OT and ICS systems. And Nart, I'll turn it over to you for the, for the last word, but any predictions on your end where um, either, again, new, new trends we might see uh, emerging in, in some of the validation processes or 
um, new trends in general that we expect to see in the threat landscape? Well, for me, one of the interesting things that I've been thinking about lately, and it's something that our Purple team um, covers using security validation and the actions that our teams um, have helped to create, is what happens after detection. So you've run your security validation and you've fine-tuned your products so that you're detecting really well. Well, what happens to that detection? When when that detection fires, let's say for a simulation for, for an APT group, we've, we've sent the real malware that an APT group uses through your system, and now you've detected it, but was it just a generic detection or did it give you a malware family detection? How do you determine that this is um, an advanced threat actor and what steps are you going to take? You know, are you going to, what procedures is your team going to initiate depending on the type of detection that occurred? I think that's going to be the next, the next thing that I see us moving forward on is try to integrate the idea of how do you attribute the events that you're seeing, not just detect them. Yeah, an excellent point. Uh, well, Nart, uh, Henry, thank you for joining us and telling us all about uh, some of the works that your your teams are both doing on security validation. For people that are interested in learning more, uh, they can go to the website and find out more about security, uh, Mandiant security validation. Is that correct? That is correct. And we also had a recent white paper on some of the most common issues that we see in our customers' environment. So there is definitely more research available on our website to see what are the most common issues that customers have with their security controls. So definitely check that out if you're interested in that. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you both for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.